0: Well good morning again everybody. I just want to touch back about our missionaries. Do you remember my story about the rope and how important it is for us not to let go of the rope of our missionaries? You know their feedback is incredible. They say they've just really feel the connection with Monument Bible Church with the people that attend here because you're doing a great job in communicating, being in touch with them and really showing that you care. Showing brotherly and sister love in that. And they feel that this rope is being held on. And again, it's Christmas. And this is a lonely time being away from your country, your family. It gets, You get sentimental. You get tearful. The devil gets in there and starts questioning, why are you here? Why are you doing this? So these guys are vulnerable right now. So I do encourage you, please, that tree should be empty by the time you walk out of this church today. The big balls are for the whole family. If you want to take a whole family home take that. If you just want to take an individual of the family, take the little small ones. They've all got their names and addresses. You can send them a gift card and that. Uh, for Moses, don't send him any money or gift cards. Uh, you can give a gift to the office and we'll transfer it to him. Otherwise, he won't get it. In that part of the world, they won't allow that to get to him. So you can talk to me about especially his situation there. So let's continue to hold on the rope. So that they do feel we are taking care of them over Christmas. So this morning we're going to look at my sermon that's entitled, Removing the Mask. But I'd like you to first open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you will. This morning you'll see that we have communion set up here in front of us. And this is a very, very important time. Jesus asked us to remember this, never to forget it, to do this in remembrance of him. Scriptures ask us to examine ourselves. And that's what I want you to start thinking about from now until we get to the point of communion. You need to examine yourselves carefully, especially when partaking with communion. A number of people that I've spoken to here in this church were surprised when I shared this bit of passage of scripture with them. And I was shocked when they said I didn't realize that the importance of that. So read with me in this part here. We're going to look at verse twenty-six to thirty-two, and it says there. Therefore, sorry, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason many are you, you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So take some time this morning to examine yourselves as we go through the scriptures. This passage we're going to look at, you'll see how important this connects to it before you get to communion. Therefore, whoever eats bread or drinks the cup in the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. So we are told to examine ourselves. Examine yourself. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal any areas of unconfessed sin and ask God to forgive you. As we look into this passage of Scripture this morning you will see it's asking us to consider are we wearing a mask? This passage is addressing hypocrisy. Beware of becoming a hypocrite. Are you wearing a mask? The word hypocrite comes from the Greek word that means an actor, acting, someone playing a part, pre- pretending to be someone they're not. The Oxford Dictionary of the Christian Church explains it. In the case of the Pharisees, those who do their good deeds only in order to be seen by men and not for the glory of God. According to moral theologians, hypocrisy is the fruit of pride. It is a sin against truthfulness. Being a a lie expressed by external actions with the intention of deceiving. Warren Worsby puts it this way. Therefore, I'm sorry, there are hypocrites in every walk of life. People who try to impress others in order to hide their real selves. In the Christian life, a hypocrite is somebody who tries to appear more spiritual than he or she really is. These people know that they are pretending and they hope they will not be found out. Their Christian life is only a shallow masquerade. So before we go any further, I'd like to pray with you and I'd like to use the scripture of Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24. And take this moment to examine yourselves. And as we go through this, think deeply of what Jesus is saying here right at this time. So bow with me, if you will. Father, we've gathered again this morning to hear your word, to be taught by your Son, what he recorded in the word here, Lord, that we would be found worthy, that we would become true ambassadors for Christ. In Psalm 139, Lord, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. Please, Lord, do this for us now, this morning, as we go through this passage, in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at uh, chapter 12, we're going to look through at chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. And I want you to just take a moment and listen, listen to this thought that I have. Is, as I thought about the disciples, as they... We're always around Jesus and going wherever he went. But every time he receives an invitation to dinner or for lunch, it really gets intense. I can imagine the disciples saying to Jesus, Do we have to come with you? you know what happens to you when you go to these functions? Have you ever had someone say that to you? If you go to this, it always brings the worst out of you. Whenever you go to these things, you get angry, you get disappointed, disillusioned. Why do you go to these things? And I was thinking about these disciples, and every time Jesus went and dined with these Pharisees, or even when he dined with Matthew, the Pharisees were in the background picking on him. In Jesus' case, I believe they would have said, it always brings out more of the truth in you, as opposed to the worst of you. Because whenever he's there, more truth comes out for us to learn and for them. And it's a hard truth to accept. It's convicting. It's challenging for all of us. And then they would say to him, and we have to deal with all the criticism about you. And it really does not do much for your reputation either when you accept these invitations. You gotta picture yourself at this function. Being a disciple, following Jesus and watch him get all fired up and give out to these guys. And you're in the midst of that standing there and everyone's going, wow, man, what's up with him? Why is he like this? So what is, do you remember last week we looked at the difference between reputation and character? Reputation is what people think we are. Character is what God knows we are. Character is what God knows we are. That's what's important. What are you thinking about? In everything that you do in life, are you thinking about how God is viewing your behavior? And just to recap in uh, chapter 11, we saw Jesus point out, a house divided against itself falls. He who is not with me is against me. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and do it. Something greater is here. The eyes are the lamp to the body. Watch out that the light in you is not darkness. Your whole body must be full of light. And listen to this part. It says, without a dark part in it. No dark part in it. You foolish ones, he said, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? So we just went through all of that in chapter 11 and now we're coming into... Chapter 12. So he's been denouncing these religious leaders in chapter 11 for hypocrisy. But now, in chapter 12, Jesus is warning his disciples and you and I about the very same thing. So let's grab our Bibles here and read with me from chapter 12, verses 1 through 7, if you will. Under these circumstances, after so many thousands of people had gathered together, that they were stepping on one another, He began saying to His disciples, first of all, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. But there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed, and hidden that will not be known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and whatever you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. I will say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, And after that, have no more that they can do. But I will warn you, whom to fear. Watch this verse very carefully. But I will warn you, whom to fear. Fear the one who after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents, yet no Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are numbered. Do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. So in verses 2 and 3, we see two proverbs here that assure us that such hypocrisy will be revealed and judged. In verses 4 and 5 comes a warning to the disciples about whom they should truly fear. And then in 6 and 7, we followed by an encouragement that although God is to be feared, they need not be afraid. For this omniscient and omnipotent God values and cares for them and for you and I as well. These verses are tied together thematically with by the word fear. I want you to think about this word fear. And you will probably see this battle is constantly against the Pharisees who are living by the law, by tradition. Man's made stuff up as well. And Jesus here who's coming with the gospel. Law is about punishment. The gospel is about forgiveness. Law is about stuff we are supposed to do. The gospel is what God has done for us. Law is about commandments, rules and discipline. The gospel is about love, grace, and salvation. The law imposes demands. The gospel offers a gift. Opposite in so many ways, yet both have a place in developing us to live a life according to God's purpose. It The whole thing is very, very important for you to know. So many of you dropped out of reading the whole Bible. Those that are coming to the end, isn't it, of fantastic reward to see how this all intricately fits together. The Old and New Testament is vitally important for you to know. The commandments are how God protects all of creation from us, from our selfish and destructive instincts. When we think about, it was terribly expensive to restore this world, but love doesn't count the cost, does it? It just did what had to be done. It was terribly expensive. We are all, we all struggle to keep these two concepts in balance. People struggle to balance the whole thing. But in verse one, Jesus gives his disciples a warning to beware of the Pharisees' hypocrisy. Beware of the leaven. Copying even a little bit of what the Pharisees do, It would lead to hypocrisy. Jesus warns his disciples that they need to be careful now and not fall into the same trap as the Pharisees have. Beware of living a masked life. Thousands of people had gathered. So many that they were stepping on one another. We've seen right the way through Luke, the crowds gathered, the crowds, larger crowds gathered. But look at the word there. Thousands have gathered that they're even stepping on one another. But the disciples can see what's going on. And what is this crowd doing to to them? What are they thinking? Jesus knows, and he's warning them because this is what happened to the Pharisees. They can see fame, popularity, success, wealth, power, using knowledge to control them. All leads to hypocrisy. And acting to draw the crowds. Greed. Self-righteousness. Pride. This is what he's warning about. They're watching all of this attention around them. Jesus does not want these, leave these men behind to continue in a path that will, same as the Pharisees. Jesus is saying, It starts small, a little leaven, which is like yeast that you put in your bread dough. It just starts to swell up. I remember when we were in California, we bought some pizzas from Papa John's, was it Linda? And we took them home and we uh, left them all day in in the house. And we came back that evening and the dough was this thick around the pizza. Ooh, that wasn't good pizza. Yes, it starts small. Deception starts small. We start to rationalize the plan with good intentions. I'm doing this to help others. We rationalize our decision to sin. And verse 2, look at verse 2 with me. Look what it says. But there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Verse 3 says, accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light and whatever you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. A little sin leads us down a path to bigger sin. How many of you have seen Spider-Man 3? Raise your hand, Scott. Thank you. Come <laughs> on, who else? Spider-Man's, thank you young men, good stuff for being honest. It's a good movie. Parker here is Spider-Man. He knew right from wrong. He knew what was wanting him was wrong. It was sin. Sin was creeping up onto Parker. That little picture on the left there, you see that black stuff? Parker knew what to do. But he chose to let this thought linger in his mind. He knew what was touching him, what was trying to get a hold of him was wrong, but he let it linger in his thoughts. Hang out in his room. He should have thrown it out as soon as he tried, as soon as it tried to tempt him. But he didn't. He was letting it get a hold of him. Sin is sin. Period. It will lead you to destruction. It will also destroy you and everything else. And everyone around you will get hurt too. By what you've allowed to enter your life. You see, Parker always was concerned of what people thought of him. And it started to affect his character. He allowed this thought to grow. He was thinking all the time because of the sin was teaching him. About how people viewed him. It just started to creep and get stronger in his life. He doubted himself. He thought more about what men and women thought of him. It was his choice and we have to make the same choice daily. The devil is active. He is trying very hard to deceive you and lead you down a path. He wants you to put on the mask. Are you going to allow it, a little dark part in your life, and live a masked life? Are you a hypocrite? Or are you going to take off the mask and live out a sincere, genuine, surrendered man or woman of God? Taking His commandments very seriously. To take the narrow path that leads to heaven. To be more concerned about what God thinks about your life and the way you're living your life than what man does. But there is nothing in verse 2 covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. And whatever you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed on their housetops. I love this verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 10 verse 2. It says, furthermore, in your bedchamber, do not curse a king, and in your sleeping rooms, do not curse a rich man. For a bird of the, of the heavens will carry the sound, and the winged creature will make the matter known. Have you ever been somewhere, and only you know about something, and someone brings it up, and you go, oh my goodness, how did you hear about that? My granny used to have this saying, she said, a little birdie told me. We have some cliches that we use or pass down from our grandparents that are actually from the Bible. So what do you think about this? A little bird of the heaven will carry the sound. You think you can deceive God? You think no one will know? Because that's what the devil will tell you. No one's going to know. Who's going to know? They won't even notice you didn't come to church. It's little deceptive words in your ear to lead you astray. And once you start allowing that little bit of stuff to get a hold of you, your life gets a mask on it. People will know. You can't hide anything. And you know what the horrible thing is? When you listen to the wrong thing, as soon as you've done it, you feel guilty. And that's his. That's what... the. Devil enjoys. That's where he gets his kicks. As soon as you listen and you do it, and you go, "Oh man!" And you court. Guess what he does? That's great. That was all planned. You feel terrible. Look at verse four with me. Just at the very beginning of it, look what he says. I say to you, my friends, who do you want as a friend in this world today? What makes a friend to you? I think friend is defined beautifully in John chapter 15 verse 13. It says, Greater love has no one than this, than that one lay down his life for his friends. Verse 14 says, You are my friends. He says it here in verse 4, I say to you, my friends, who do you want as a friend in this world today? Man or God? That's your choice. But listen, he says here in verse 14 of John chapter 15, You are my friends, and here's the big if is in the middle here. If, and look what it says, if you do what I command you. Are you a friend of Jesus? Are you following his commands? You are my friends. Look at those words he's saying to you. Boy, that's the only friend you really need. You need to be right with Jesus. You need him as your personal friend. But he's telling you, if you do what I command. It goes on to say, no longer do I call you slaves. For the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things have been heard from my Father I have made known to you. Are you still a slave? You see, you need to know what he just said there. You are no longer a slave when you know what I've told you. You need to know the whole word of God. Look what he's saying. No longer do I call you slaves. Slaves does not know what his master is doing. Do you know What God is doing. Do you know what he is going to do? Do you know what's coming up? Do you understand his purpose and plan? That the devil can't start challenging you with words which I heard from a person this week. Why would God allow this to happen to me? From another person, why would God allow this to happen in the world today? You've got to know what it says in here and understand it. It's very important. I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Here it is in the word of God in the Bible. And it continues in verse 4 of chapter 12. says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But verses 4 and 7 says, Jesus mentioned fear Four times here, and if you include, do not be afraid, five times. Jesus is teaching us that a basic cause of hypocrisy is the fear of man. So who do you fear more, man or God? In Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25, it says, The fear of man brings us near. When we are afraid of what others might say about us or do it to us, We try to impress them in order to gain their approval. And if necessary, some of us even lie to accomplish what we want. And this is hypocrisy. Unfortunately, many of the scribes and the Pharisees were more concerned about their reputation than their character. Than what God knew about them. See, if we're concerned about what God knows about us, We'd be more inclined to change, to change our ways, our attitude. And Jesus wanted his disciples to avoid that snare and also wants us to avoid the snare as well. In verse 5, we see a big but here. Look what it says in verse 5. But I will warn you whom to fear. Take a very close look at what this says in your Bible. Because this is not a verse that you hear very much in your life. But I will warn you whom to fear, the one is capitalized. That's him. You've got to fear the one, and look what he says, who after he has killed. What does that say to you about Jesus? Jesus. You fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. And then he goes on. Yes, I tell you, fear him. How are you living your life? What are you doing? Do you fear him? The one that can kill? The one that can has the authority to cast into hell? Serious verse. You know, one time I was managing director of this company and uh, reading this passage at that time and trying to figure out things. And then this company, these people were all construction guys and rough and tough. And boy, they just added Jesus Christ onto every end of their sentence. It was harsh. I'd given out Bibles. I'd prayed with them. i tried my utmost to try and reach them. Most of you know if you get an email from me at the bottom of my name and where I work and stuff, There's always a scripture verse. And one time I was sitting in my office praying and listening to guys going down the passage going, Oh, Jesus, this and Jesus, that. Everything was Jesus Christ's fault. And I said to the Lord, help me here because this really makes my hair stand up. I'm really struggling with self-control and anger with these guys. I can't lose it. They're so disrespectful. They know where I stand. I need some help here. How do I break through some of this? And as I stopped, I heard that inner voice say, Why do you put pretty scripture or nice scripture on the bottom of your email that has nothing to do with that individual you're sending it to? Wow. It made me think about it. I had this chairman who was twice a millionaire, huge man in stature as well. I think he was about 6'4", very scary dude. He always used God's name in vain. And I thought about that and I thought, wow, i got to send my report to him. So I put the verse in, do not use God's name in vain. Sent that report through, about 20 minutes later I get a phone call. Are you in the office? Yes, I am. Are you going to be there a while? Yep, don't you dare move, I'm on my way. Oh, I knew. Oh, I knew. The fear of man was here. And he came. He stormed through the front door, passed my receptions, into my office, and slammed the door. I mean, really slammed it. The blinds went flying, and he just kept coming at that same pace. And as he got to my desk, he went, I've had enough of you. Who gives you the right? And he's right in my face. I'm pushing back my chair into the wall, and he's got his finger getting closer and closer to my face. I'm sick of your religious stuff on the emails. Who gives you the permission to put your religion on my emails, our company emails? And he is in my face. I am trembling even now, remembering it. I am panicking. This guy is scaring me. And every thought of negativity is flying in my head. You're going to get fired. You've had it now. You've pushed your boundaries far too far. Who's going to take care of your wife and kids now? You have lost everything you started here. And this is just flying in my head. And he says, and that's it. You will stop. You will remove those from the computer now. And that is it. I don't want to see another scripture verse. Do I make myself clear? I said, you do. But I will not. And I can feel my heart pounding now. Hey, he just stood there. What did you say? I said, I will not. This is the word of God. It's the truth. And the truth has hurt you. But it's the truth of what you're doing. You have no right to use God's name. You don't even know who He is, and what this whole thing's about. Who gives you the right to tell me not to do that? I will not. I'm glad he didn't ask me to stand up because my knees were wobbly. (laughs) He got he just turned around, walked out, shut the door, and went away. About two weeks later, we had a lunch, and as the food came, he put out his hand and said, "You better give thanks for the food." and we did and slowly but surely things started to change in the company but I'm sharing this story because there was a point where I can tell you I was going to go I'm sorry I'll, I won't do it again was what was coming into my head I was fear fearful of this man but you know who I'm really fearful of is, is God the Old Testament tells you what he's done what he did to people what are you allowed? And look what he's going to allow still to happen to Israel, his chosen people. They're not going to unless they accept Jesus Christ. They're not coming with us when we're raptured. They're staying for tribulation. That's with no Holy Spirit, no conscience, no knowing of good and right. It's going to be just like these games they make for the kids today. These movies too. Who do you fear, man or God? What does your life represent? We are losing ground. When you see this verse, but I warn you who to fear. Fear the one who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Do you bet your court system used to have put your hand on the Bible and swear nothing but the truth. So help me God. What have they got to fear now? Just raise your right hand. We've dropped that. You don't allowed the Bible in the school. Don't you bring religion to work? Who's who, Who's telling us to do this? Man, and why are we doing it? Because we fear them. This is a great nation. Think about that. I know that off by heart by what? Watching American movies in the court system. You guys, it was just set up. Unbelievable. We're losing ground because we're fearful of what other people are saying. So what is the remedy for hypocrisy? Warren Worsby says, The remedy for hypocrisy, which is removing your mask is to forget about what people may say and do and fear God alone. The fear of God is the fear that conquers all other fears. For the person who truly fears God need fear nothing else. To fear. What does that mean? What does this mean? Fear the one. The fear of the Lord. There is 13 occurrences in Proverbs. And Schofield's definition says, a reverential trust with a hatred for sin. It's this gentleman in front of me here. Rich. is has a, has a special day here. And here's a verse that I just slipped up to bring in at the right timing there about fear the one. Would you like to share that verse for us, Rich? Would you like to stand up? While he stands there, it's his birthday today. His wife told me that's why I asked him to read a scripture. <clears throat> Thanks, Rich. Vine's Complementary Expository Dictionary explains fear. The Bible attests it approximately 330 times and in all periods. Used of an exalted person position connotes to standing in awe. This is not a simple fear but the reverence whereby an individual recognizes the power and the position, in the individual revered and renders him proper respect. In this sense, the word may imply submission to a proper ethical relationship to God. There is more involved here than a mere psychological fear. The people also show proper honor, reverence for God. They stand in awe of Him. In Exodus 20.20, 20, it's... Says, Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you, and in order that the fear of Him may remain with you, so that you may not sin. You know, today the things have got out of hand. Why? They don't have any fear of God. They have no idea what God is capable of doing, what He has done, which is recorded in the Old Testament. In the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible, it says, The biblical conception of fear embraces a much wider dimension than our common English word, which simply denotes some sort of dread of terror or terror. While this meaning forms an essential part of the scriptural picture, it is by no means the primary significance, especially when the fear of God and an awe-aspiring reverence is referred to. This is, of course, a legitimate place For the fear of God in the lower anxious sense, we are told it is a fruitful, uh, sorry, it is a fearful, terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And that's in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31. Jesus taught that we should fear Him who has power to punish sin and can consign men to utter destruction, to hell. Fear has a constructive role to playing and enabling men to realize both the degeneracy of their souls and their need of a divine forgiveness. Fear is quite naturally the logical consequence of sin. Once you've gone down that path, you're constantly guilt-ridden. You become a professional deceiver. You become professional at rationalizing and comforting yourself. Your heart becomes harder. Fear has a tendency to either immobilize men or seriously affect their activity. So think about how active you are with the Word of God. How active are we about the truth? And if you're honest with yourself, not very active at all. Because we fear of what someone's going to say. Someone after the first service said, Wow, what you shared there is exactly what our friends do. It is so awkward. They just use... He, the one man says, "God damn!" All the time, they're blaspheming all the time. Oh my goodness, it's so hot. So I said, "Have you ever said anything?" No, no, no. You know, they're such close friends. I'd be, I'd be worried of losing them. You see, Jesus Christ, by His atoning death, resurrection, and heavily into. Heavenly intercession for believers is the unique liberator from fear. You have to trust Jesus Christ. He is standing there with God defending you. He's our advocate. All that men can do is kill the body. But God can condemn the soul. Since He is the final judge and He judges for eternity... It is logical that we put the fear of God ahead of everything else. It should be the most important thing. Our God knows us and cares for us. He cares for the sparrows and we are more valuable than them. So do we fear man or do we fear God? In closing, I'd like to ask call the deacons and elders up if they will. Gather together as we prepare to take communion. But I want you to think about this very hard as we started with examining ourselves. I want you to think really hard about Jesus saying, I need you to remember this. I want you to remember this. So I want you to picture what happened to Jesus after the night he was betrayed. What did man do to our Savior? They spat on him. They hit him with a cane. They put a crown of thorns on him and they lashed him. They stripped his skin off his body. And he's saying, I want you to remember this. And they nailed him to a cross. They stick a spear in his side to confirm he's dead. Horrendous. And he's asking us to remember this and this is why we take part in communion. As we look upon the bread that symbolizes Jesus' body being broken and the juice that symbolizes his blood that was poured out for our sin. I want you to examine yourselves and ask yourself, are you wearing a mask? Oops. Get out again. We've had fun with electronics today. We need to ask ourselves, if we are wearing a mask, are we going to remove the mask and ask God to search our heart? The believer's real life is an eternal one to be spent in the God's presence. So as we think about this, I have two questions for you. What occupies your mind every day? The second question, what occupies your heart? What do you think about most? Because that's what's going to get into your life like Parker, Spider-Man. What occupies your mind and what occupies your heart will give you a good picture of yourself. Are you living a life with a mask on, saying one thing, doing the opposite, living two lives, one behind the curtain? Or a life that is totally open to the leading of Jesus Christ? Surrendered to Jesus Christ. A life that believes and obeys His every word. A life that reveals Jesus Christ. A life that truly loves His neighbor and wants to be there to help where Jesus may send you. So what occupies your mind and what occupies your heart?